1: CBS Sports State of Combat podcast with your host, The Brian Campbell. Wow, we're getting closer, folks. Fights finally on the horizon. UFC 249, a little bit more than a week to go. May 9th, Jacksonville, Florida. That's the big news this week. It's your mixed martial arts edition as your boy BC is here with full reaction to that. Some of the spinoff news that has come off of that including Amanda Nunes uh, saying she's not ready just yet to defend her title on that card. UFC's bold, bold idea of three cards in the first eight days and picking up every weekend after that. We'll get into all of that. And we got some great guests for you today. I'm sure you heard about this new collaboration between Bellator MMA and CBS Sports each week on the CBS Sports Network. You're getting some classic Bellator fights in a new series hosted by Big John McCarthy that you're not going to want to miss today. We got two of those fighters whose old school action you can catch up on. And we're also going to find out how they're doing during this current quarantine and what could be on deck for the future. We have three-time lightweight champion Michael Chandler. Maybe, just maybe, the face of Bellator. But will he stay with Bellator upon The conclusion of his current contract. One more fight left to rematch with Benson Henderson. Chandler going in deep here about at age 33. What his future could bring. Why he thinks he's the only man capable of handing Habib Nurmagomedov his first defeat. And uh, so much more including will we see. That trilogy bout with Eddie Alvarez that brought the heat in the first two meetings. And we also have Bellator prospect Aaron Pico for very honest and candid chat about, uh, bouncing back from defeat, dealing mentally with the loss that came with seeing his, uh, once highly touted aura of being the biggest prospect in MMA history come back down to earth, but he switched camps. He's in. New Mexico with Jackson Wink. He's got a new lease on his future and career and what matters to him. It's a nice chat about what is going on, how these guys are getting through quarantine right now. And hopefully all of you out there are doing well. Uh, I, I feel like there's light at the end of this tunnel. And and certainly, you know, the return of fights, which begins with Dana White in the UFC. And if successful, you really have to believe it's just the start of so much more for combat sports mma boxing pro sports team sports after that and beyond um i know some states are loosening laws opening things up you know to some controversial degree and by the way i agree should we all be packing movie theaters or or going thousands deep on the beach probably not probably not right now but uh uh, it doesn't mean you can't get a haircut right it doesn't mean we can't do uh we can't get us closer to rebuilding this budget, getting our lives back on track. Not everybody getting a paycheck right now. I understand that. Not everybody healthy right now. So uh, a lot of love and, and support and shout out and prayers and thoughts uh, to everyone going through this. Family members, uh, people who have lost close ones uh, certainly can sympathize. Tough times right now, folks, but hang with it. And, uh, you know, tough times mentally. I mean, it's it's legit, you know. I wake up every other day feeling like, how the heck am I going to get through tomorrow? And 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 I got a good job that's that's you know uh, that's paying me and that's great at the moment. And fights are coming back, but uh, it's not easy. So remember, as the great Moral Ronaldo has said many times, it it's okay to not be okay. All right, it's okay. But uh, but you know, talk to somebody you trust and love. Let's get through this. Let's get through this together. All right. We got to laugh a little bit. We got to laugh, okay? We got to come back. Trust me. We back, baby, all right? You know, Dana says one thing. You say the other. Oh, come on, Anderson. I say, come on, Dana. Come on. Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. And
2: Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. Why
1: not? You know, why, why not? Why not, Andy? I'm with you on that, okay? You back. Trust me. You back. Well, trust me. Dana said yes, and fights are back, so we're definitely looking forward to that one. We definitely look forward to your support on the State of Combat podcast. A uh, lot of cool stuff coming in the future. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our sort of weird and wacky one-off interviews of late. Uh, last week's Boxing Pod with the great Joe Bob Briggs of 90s B-movie and horror movie fame. Uh but we're going to get a little bit closer here to uh, the real deal. So please stay with us on the State of Combat. Nobody's got you covered. More in the box MMA game. We dip into pro wrestling every once in a while, too. But uh, if you like what you hear, if you like that feeling inside your ear hole, please, five-star review season always upon us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, google podcast i don't know wherever wherever you find that fine audio of the great sugar rashad evans on a bye week this week but uh him and i will be back in the studio very shortly for our next episode of story time with rashad hopefully you guys all enjoyed the great detail we went to in reliving his uh ultimate fighter season two victory which really launched his his uh his turn into UFC and in his pro career, we're going to go a little bit deeper now and start off that pro career and, and, uh, relive the mindsets, the, the, what, what was happening there in some of those early victories as Rashad Evans slimmed down to 205 and began to figure out who he was. And we know, of course, the man that he became, Earthquake Survivor, tough guy, nice guy, all that stuff. We, lo- we love this guy. I want you to put it on. Yeah. I want you to try to do your best to put it on because yes. that's the only way I want it. If you don't give me everything you got, I'm going to be pissed off. I'm, I'm with you on that. That's what okay? she said. <laughs> Thank you, Tito. Thank you. Thank you, Tito. Don't forget what Chael said that time.
0: Tito always says I'm using my mouth to get my opportunities. The only person I know that made money using their mouth is his ex-wife.
1: hey Hopefully you enjoyed uh, Chael last week. Hopefully you enjoyed today's interviews. Michael Chandler, Aaron Pico still to come. But on the other side, we're going to get into the latest news in mixed martial arts. It's you, it's me, your boy, BC. Let's rock out. A little pause for the cause and a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, all right. Dig it.
0: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it
1: free. Terms apply. And we're back. It's your boy, BC, the State of Combat podcast, MMA style. No, Sugar Rashad this week. But we could still survive. Kate
2: Rashad's nuts at your mouth.
1: Then talk to me. Okay, okay, Rampage. I'm with you on that. Go break down the door. I'm with you on that one, my man. Uh We got Aaron Pico. We got Michael Chandler still to come. And uh hopefully you you uh are sticking with this show during these uncertain times. Get a little entertainment break. A little update on what's happening in the life of the fighters and the sport. Hopefully you are watching. Morning Combat, yes, every Monday, 12 Eastern on YouTube, brought to you by Showtime, Luke Thomas and your boy BC, joining up for a off-the-rails breakdown on the worlds of boxing and MMA and beyond, believe me, and beyond, and uh we got a lot of fun spinoff projects coming up off of that brand as well, so be sure to subscribe on YouTube to Morning Combat at Morning Combat on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's my plug. That's my plug. All right. Buy my stuff. There you go. Thank you so much. All right. Great. Let's get the show in order because it feels pretty out of order right now. You are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that so right, crazy, deflated man, 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 raped and, and raped Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hopefully you didn't do all that. But that man in question is... UFC president, Dana White. You guys know who he is? You guys know the power this guy has? I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. End of story. End of story, all right? You want to go back to bussing tables? You know, this is, you know, you you say you want to be an ultimate fighter. Now is your chance, and now is our chance as fans, journalists, and beyond to get back. Find a little bit of normalcy because the UFC is back. As we mentioned, it's May 9th. Jacksonville, uh... I popped. I popped big for this news. I think you have to right now because this is UFC doing it right. And now, look, nobody knows what's really right at the moment. Nobody knows when is the right time to uh, do anything within this uncertainty of the coronavirus pandemic. And um I certainly don't take that lightly. But I think the difference in right now compared with a couple of weeks back when Dana White was trying to force a card, a, a square peg into a round hole, Tai Chi Palace in the middle of California, the difference is the California Commission was against that in a big way. So to do that on Native American ground and sort of recklessly push forward and look, t- you know, to make comments like this, which Dana did make. I've had a great run, right? If the coronavirus is what's going to get me, let's do it. Bring it. I'm ready, Corona. When come you get- hear, Yeah, come on. When you hear stuff like that, that's crap. Okay, that's reckless. And when you mix that with the sort of bottom line uh. The, the true, the true value, the true meaning, the, the currency of what Dana was trying to do here. It was about parent company endeavors, bottom line. It was about keeping that UFC train on the tracks at all costs to collect that 750 million reported from the Wall Street Journal and that, in that deal with ESPN as the exclusive, uh, network and pay-per-view provider. It was about just whatever, getting it back out there. That led to Fight Island. That led to sort of this maverick, you know, aura hanging around Dana White. And I don't think a lot of that was great. So when the California governor reached out to Disney parent company, VSPN, and, and Dana was told to stand down, we've been through that already. I felt that was the right time. Two weeks later, though, when you're joining up with the state of Florida, the governor, the mayor of Jacksonville, the commission in Florida, and I look, Florida's wild. Florida's wild and crazy, whether you're talking combat sports commission or, or life in general. I'm not going to act like it's not. But it's different when you're teaming up. With a state commission, and it's no complete disrespect toward, let's say a you know a Native American tribal land commission, but you know, is Tachi Palace the the major leagues when the UFC is coming in there in uncertain times and essentially self regulating themselves, which is what would have happened? Maybe that's not a a crazy ideal when they go to some new country that doesn't have a a recognized sports commission, but during coronavirus, it's just a different time and place and element doing it right now, the right way, it's time. It feels like it's time. I mean, we've all hunkered down to the best that we can, and uh, the numbers might not be perfect from the idea of the pandemic going in the other direction, but we're getting closer. And look, uh, you know, Demetrius Johnson said it on this podcast last week. In theory, if fighters can fly to Jacksonville or wherever an event is being held and they can be tested for COVID and they don't have it, And their team doesn't have it and the referees don't have it and the commission members and the broadcasters and they all can enter one building and put on a fight card, then they should be able to exit that building without catching and spreading it. And I know it's like, you know, basic sort of knucklehead stuff there. But if that's the case and we can do this the right way with the proper medical coverage and triage units and all that stuff, then, yes, please do that. Uh, Dear state of Nevada, lift your ban allowing pro sports because The safest thing for UFC to continue business is to do it at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. It's a no-brainer. The PI is next door. UFC office is next door. Create the UFC biodome. Don't do it on some ridiculous, strange island.
0: I've also secured an island. I've got an island
1: I mean look at like as much as that's like this uh action movie potential of like oh imagine the octagon on the sand and there's machine guns and sharks I mean like I get that part of the idealism right now but um you know Dana himself in an interview with Kevin Ioli did sort of say like look uh You know, we can't run from the potential that if we have international people fly into this private island that, that, you know, we still may have to do a two week quarantine. He's like, I may have to do a two week quarantine just to attend that fight. And, and, and if that's what Dana has to do in a fight island really is real, just to sort of get some of those fighters who can't fly into the U.S. a chance to also get on board and keep this train moving, then I mean, he's going to do what he has to do. Uh, part of me is still wondering, yes, is Fight Island an actual reality or just a leverage point to try to force everyone to uh, kind of get in line and, and some of these state commissions to get on board? I don't know. I mean, I think Dana's proven at this point he's wild enough that there probably is a real Fight Island. But I don't think you need Fight Island if Las Vegas can, can team up in, in Nevada with UFC and do it the right way. And we can get back on board and boxing would follow immediately and start doing empty or bellator likely as well. You know, do studio or empty arena fights. I mean, look, that's, that's the future. Same thing as, uh, you know, empty arena NBA games and empty stadium MLB games. That's, we're, that's what we're looking at for the rest of this calendar year. We know that no one really knows, uh, when real life is going to get back to normal, but I think this is the time. It's, it's, it's the right step. It seems to be done safely. Somebody's got to be first. Somebody's got to take a chance. It's not a surprise that, that it would happen in in cage fighting, right, in in, in mixed martial arts and combat sports. And the more we know Dana, uh, God, we know that this is the right guy to sort of take that chance and do it the right way. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, then the corona is going to get me. Wow, All right? right? It is what it is. No, we don't talk like that anymore. So here's my only problem with Dana this time around, under this A current comeback to get UFC 249 cleared for Jacksonville, for uh, ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena. First time UFC going to be there. The next three cards, May 9th, Wednesday, May 13th, and Saturday, May 16th. Three cards in eight days, all in Jacksonville. My only issue this time around is that Dana's basically doubling down and continuing this war with the media. The the less... The media knows the better off it is. <laughs> and you heard in the most recent Kevin Ioli interview where he's basically laughing as he's saying, look, a lot of these media members are going to get laid off. And they will. And some are. And that's the deal. That's sort of part of why I'm trying to say this. Like UFC needs the media. The media needs UFC to be active to do their job. So uh, the media being cautious at times and, and even criticizing uh, Dana White, it doesn't mean the media is against MMA or fighters getting paid. It's, like, it's so obvious here, but Dana wants to continue this sort of war. Uh, my problem with that is that he was asked by both Brett Okamoto of ESPN and Kevin Ioli of Yahoo specifically, do you have COVID testing in place for these three cards? Because Dana says it's going to start May 9th and it's going to be every weekend after that. And even went as far as saying by the end of June, they will be back on schedule for the year, which is wild, considering no one's done done dick in 50 days or whatever. So um, he won't answer that. He won't give a, an answer to that. You know, there were quotes of saying, I'm not feeding the media. I won't do it. I didn't do it last time. I'm not doing it again. End quote. Um, Feeding the media with the most important detail, Dana, about all this. So if. The answer is yes. And in and Dana, who's claimed and, and I believe him, he's working hand in hand with the governor, the mayor, the State of Florida Commission. If they're doing COVID testing and doing it all the right way, why not just say yes? You don't have to give the details. Why do this power play of like, no? What the you know the the less the media knows, the better. They only need to know what they need to know. Well, I kind of feel like we need to know this, especially since there. You know, Dana revealed that upwards of ten. Uh, select media members will be covering these fights on site in Jacksonville. Uh, this is a fairly large part of the story, if not the most important part. So Dana's stubbornness in that case and making this a fight that really isn't there. Um, I mean, is it? Is the media against Dana White? No, but like in any situation, in any business, look, the media's job is to, you know dig things up or or bring to light things or question things that may not be part of the pr campaign of a certain entity and yes sometimes both sides go too far but but to not tell in this spot it only breeds suspicion that ufc's not doing this right and then if you're going to say that you're going to say well wh- why the hell wouldn't they well maybe if you don't do covid testing then Nobody can claim to have COVID and then we can avoid issues because look the worst thing that can happen here obviously is that you know somebody has it and they spread it across the entire company and then suddenly, you know, MMA in general gets shut down again and, and Pro Sports takes a giant step back. Uh there's obviously follow up questions like well, how could a state commission allow that? Eventually someone's gonna have to speak up, right? A fighter or a manager, somebody's going to, you know, tell the media and kind of update what's really going on here. But why create this feeling like you might be skipping the most important step to pull this off? And now, you know, and and to defend Dana, he did say we're going to be spending a ton of money. uh, It's going to be very expensive to do this. And, you know, we always have world-class health and safety. And, you know, to UFC's credit, I mean, they are such a well-oiled machine, even in a crazy sport. I'm used to covering boxing a little bit more. Boxing's wild, wacky, ridiculous. They take chances all the time. UFC a well-oiled machine within that craziness where they do things the right way. So, you know, again, I'm not saying that I think there's not COVID testing, but why leave that out? And why go to the extreme Dana during the initial Instagram live interview with Brett Okamoto in which Dana revealed all this news to just say, no, I'm not telling you the venue when (laughs) When A, the venue had already been out, right? Like somebody had already broken reports, sources say it's going to be at this Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena. But B, the UFC put out the press release during the interview in which Dana was saying, I'm not going to tell the media. Well, you guys just send it out to the media. So it's just, it's, it's just, it's bizarre. And I'm, and I'm lingering on something that maybe isn't a giant ordeal in the end, but Dana's job is to provide information from the UFC to the media. He's the face. He's the public face of it. So, um, you know, I can get, I can understand. I try to put myself in his head. I can understand he felt like any information he was putting out a few weeks ago, the media was jumping over certain hurdles to try to get him shut down, calling up these prospective venues and saying, do you have the right testing, blah, blah, blah. You know, do you really want to do this? Look, I get that. But in this case, if you're going to do COVID testing and you have to at this point, just say it and just say the arena, like fans can't show up anyway. Like enough, enough crap. We want fights. You know how sick I am. Where's this pod morning combat. People text me. I'm sick of talking about it. Is, is Dana right now? In in one sense, Dana's been the Robin hood hero of this entire quarantine. Why? Because he's the only one fighting to get business back on the road. And again, it will have a trickle down effect If you, if UFC succeeds, Boxing will be behind it. Pro sports will be behind that. OK, so that's one way in which Dana's like for people like me, whose job depends on there being a new cycle. That's great Two, number two. Dana's craziness created a new cycle when there was nothing there. So I do sort of give him that credit. Uh, you know, there were some people like Brandon Wise on the show who was basically saying, like, you know, maybe maybe Dana knows he can't put on fights, but he's just doing this to keep UFC in the headlines. If he had been doing that old Floyd Mayweather trick. It it was successful. Obviously, we're finding out now he wasn't doing that trick. Uh, Floyd, you here? You still on the soundboard, Floyd? Where where are you? You say something else, I'll whoop your ass in the octagon, bitch. No, you, you, you won't. No, you won't. All right. Um, but at the same time, it's like, was all that necessary? I'm sick of talking about the... Dana White versus the media, the is this the right move or not the right move. I have graduated to the point that right now, if you do it right, it's the right time. So starting now, we will be done arguing and debating over this. Uh, can we argue and debate about this card? Okay, here's the proper transition point. Testing all that behind us. Fights now. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Thank you to the staff of UFC who have worked crazy hard to, to – To fight against any obstacle to make this happen, UFC 249 is a loaded card. Two title fights at the very top. Uh, Gaethje, Ferguson, as much as I don't want that to be for, you know, an, an interim title that really has no meaning. Although, let's be honest, interim titles now, although they've never really had any meaning, have even less now. They're basically number one contender fights. Okay, so whatever on that. But this is an all-action, badass, have-to-see-it, pay-per-view-level main event. Congrats to those guys for being willing and following through and doing this. And again, uh, to echo what Dana said, which is, um, you know, if you don't want to fight, don't fight. And Amanda Nunes, who I'll get to in a second, made her decision. So you don't have to do this. You don't have to take short training camps or no training camps and take a chance and do it. But these guys want to. They want the reward. They want all the smoke. And they're doing it, and this is going to be a badass main event. So thank you, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. And then that co-main event, Henry Cejudo will defend the Bantamweight title, not against Jose Aldo, which originally was a controversial selection that we've been through. Aldo can't fly to the States under the current uh, pandemic, but against Dominic Cruz, your former two-time champion. Uh, I'm fired up for this fight. This is the storyline to me of this entire card, right? It, It used to be that Habib was off of it. And now these two, Tony and Justin, will fight for the chance to fight Habib. And that, in some ways, kind of stiff arms Conor McGregor a little bit further out of the title picture. No, for me now, the story is 35-year-old Dominic Cruz. And I get the the pushback. There'll be a lot of pushback here. The guy hasn't fought in four years. And he lost to Cody Garbrandt. And he got pretty much dominated. And he's 35. And this is a bottlenecked, loaded division. With much more deserving names like Peter Jan, Corey Sanhagen, Aljamain Sterling. I get all that. Marlon Marais, for that matter. He just beat Josie Aldo. Um, I get all of that. But two points of defense. One, it's, it's a pandemic. They're just trying to find anybody who can fill the card. Okay, so that's one. And I know, again, Corey Sanhagen went public and said no one even called him. So two, it's the entertainment business. It is. We all want these UFC rankings to matter, and the best always fight the best. It doesn't always sell the most money or make the most sense TV ratings wise. And there's a long track record. You know, Dan Henderson is the greatest point I always make fighting uh, Michael Bisping when he's 46 and didn't have, a, you know, a, a prayer of a. I don't want to say a prayer of a chance because he actually almost won that fight to to Hendo's credit. But uh, you know, he was. Far, far from deserving, as was George St. Pierre in a lot of ways, coming out of retirement, moving up and waiting, initially getting the Bisping chance. But um, I almost think that you can almost defend Dominic Cruz even easier in this case, because he's the legend. He's the B side that's going to help fill this out and sell this card. You lose you lose Habib off the top. That's a giant name. And this is a great story. And even though he's fought so little, even though Dominic Cruz in like the last nine years has fought like four times and he's had the worst horrific luck of injury and, and he is always elite, always, you know, comes right back into the mix and is ready to do this, this mythical and most Paul Bunyan storybook like opportunity. So. Yeah, he's coming off a loss, but that was in a title fight in which he was clearly injured. He didn't want to make excuses afterwards, but he was clearly injured and not himself. And I, I don't hate this. I love Dominic Cruz. I think he's an inspirational character. I love the matchup in so many ways. A lot of people were writing, oh, Sohudo's going to knock him out. Really? Really? Cejudo's, uh we didn't know if he was big enough for Bantamweight. Then he went up and won the title, and he looked great after losing the early portion against Marlon Moraes, And kind of like outpowering and out. Uh, you know, working him and outlasting him. But Dominic Cruz, if he's injury free, dialed in in five round championship shape, and that's asking a lot of a 35 year old man who's been sitting in a broadcasting chair. Yes, it is. But if he can, uh, you know, be a facsimile of himself, that style, he's big and that style is hard to pick up and figure out. Um, the potential here for a great story, not a good story, a great life story, personal story, over- it's, it's huge. Could you imagine 35-year-old Dominic Cruz who, you know, CBS Sports, we've been ranking the top 10 all-time at every division in MMA history. And, and Cruz is a slam dunk for Bantamweight. And I know at the top of your head, you're like, is he really? Well, yeah, I guess he is, right? Like Dillashaw's in the conversation, Maraich is, Henan Baral, the Baron. But then you look at that initial run. You look at that that stretch from winning the Bantamweight title in the WEC. Look at who he beat in that stretch. It's like Ian McCall, Joseph Benavides, Benavides again. Brian Bowles. Jorgensen. Faber. Twice. Demetrius Johnson. Mizugaki. Oh, and then he comes back and beats Dillashaw by split decision. Look, I thought Dillashaw won that fight. It was a close fight. Great fight, actually. And then he beats Faber again. Um His resume is already—he's already the greatest bantamweight of all time. But what he has the potential to do here is just like some Bernard Hopkins stuff, some George Foreman stuff, some like stuff that just sort of makes you your uh, makes your legacy so unique. And you know, if Cejudo wins, that's a giant fish to grab. You know, and those these are the type of fights Cejudo has wanted—the more you know, the bigger name ones—to increase his value rather than maybe facing a murderous row in a deep division, which he'll have to do inevitably anyway. But under the circumstances, do not hate this fight. And then this card's just loaded on top of that. I mean, Ngannou Rosenstruck is a main event any other day of the week. Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Cater, perfect action filler. Greg Hardy is what it is. But when you get Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis to just be like, yeah, we're bored, let's do it, let's bang, and that's your preliminary card main event, and every other fight down that list, you're like, ooh, oh, hey, Carla and Michelle Waterson, women's strawweight always delivers. Give me that. It's mine. Break out the red panties. We're well, rich, baby. Right, maybe not the red ones, but uh, maybe the orange ones. Something like that. Uh, yeah, I love this card. I, I absolutely Fabricio for, for-, for Doomback. Uriah Hall, Jacare is like a random drop-in card a fight in the middle of this card that I'm like, yep, yep, I care about that one. So shout-out to UFC 249. Uh, it's a great sort of comeback to remind everyone. I know that you can argue and say, well, if they put this on regular ESPN, I mean, it could do absurd ratings, but, you know, it's about money. UFC's got this crazy deal with ESPN. They got to meet the dates to get it. Shout out to them, though, coming back with a bang. I mean, under the circumstances, UFC could have come with a BS card. They don't have the access to so- as many fighters as normal. I mean, it could have been crap. And we would have been like, you know, I'm just happy to. I'm just happy to see fights right now. Like the only fights that are happening are like boxing in Panama over the weekend or wherever it was in Central America. And they're spraying the fighters down in the ring. It's just bizarre. We can get real fights done right. And we get a loaded card. We get a fight night card a couple nights later. I forgot the two fights that were rumored or announced. But they're, you know, they're obvious. Curtis Blades in one of them. They're obviously solid for a fight night. Oh, on a Wednesday night, no less. And then, just a few days later, on that following Saturday, May sixteenth, we get another card that we know nothing about. Is it a pay per view? Is it loaded? Whatever. Um, it's been rough. I was I was putting I put up a, an Instagram picture the other day of the last fight I covered, and this was right before. Right. This was this was in March in Vegas. It was Adesanya against uh, against Yoel Romero. What was that? Two forty. Yeah. 246, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but it was like at the time I posted the picture of me standing next to Adesanya, it was 50 days ago. UFC 247, it was, yeah, sorry, UFC 248, I'm all over the place right now, my, my bad completely. It was the Adesanya, it was Li Zhang and Yuwana. it was March 7th, all right? It feels like three years ago. It feels like three years ago that we, that, that journalists like us were out covering it, that fans were buying it on pay-per-view and flocking the arenas. That was like 50 days, 50-something days. I mean, it's it's crazy what the last two months have done to all of us. I'm fired up for the normalcy that comes back with this. Now, a couple other spinoff news. Amanda Nunes, originally rumored to be a part of this card, announced in, in some ways after signing a, a verbal deal or whatever. Uh, that there was going to be three title fights atop this card. She broke the news to us, to me, at CBS Sports last week that um, it's just a little bit of chaos right now in her life, and uh, with the with the pandemic. And you know, Rashad Evans uh, last week's show went on to share that uh, maybe there were some complications with her fiance Nina Ansarov, who's carrying their first child. And it just would seem like the right move for her to wait until at least June and not rush back on a short camp. And you know what? I applaud that. And I and like I was the one who was saying stop ripping Habib for choosing like safety and staying in Russia rather than jumping on a private plane to nowhere. And I say the same thing about Amanda Nunes. Both could only pull off what they did or pull it off easier because they have leverage in their champions, of course, right? But you kind of want if you're in the camp that UFC fighters don't get paid enough and maybe don't get treated on the level that they should comparable to other sports. And what do I mean by that? You hear the the financial research numbers all the time from people like John Nash, who say that UFC only pays 18 percent of their of their grow you know, of their total income to payroll for the fighters. Yet, you know, the NBA is what, like 51 percent or the NFL or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the margins are way off. So you want fighters to have a little bit more control, not feel like they have to rush back and take fights while they're injured, not feel like anything like that. You kind of want more fighters to do this. It's a crazy, unprecedented time. And while Dana did say publicly, you know, you don't have to fight. You can fight if you want to. We all know that company men and company women get get rewarded. It's the UFC way. They want these Cowboy Cerrone types who are badasses, who will take any fight at any time. That's how Conor McGregor, in a lot of ways, became such a massive star and had the UFC behind him on almost every move. I mean, go back and watch the Conor McGregor documentary. How about that scene inside of his rented house when he's preparing for that fight against... Um, who was the fight he was preparing for when it ended up being... Oh, the, the first Aldo fight that Aldo pulls out. And of course, we know Conor, or, uh, uh, Chad Money Mendez ends up filling in. But that scene of when he finds out and what happens? Dana and Lorenzo Fertitta come over to that house and they're drinking whiskey. They're hanging out like they're, you know, like he's there, like they're his managers debating what to do next. When you're a badass who will do anything at any time and take chances, uh, you, you'll you get opportunities. And, and that's still the way it is. Look at Cowboy in, in Pettis, you know, filling out this card with it with a banger just because. Right. But. If you're on the flip side and you're like, no, I want to do this the right way, there should be no penalty and there's not going to be for them. And that's fine. And, and anyone that's on Nunez's case and say, oh, she's done this before. Remember when she had that bad way cut with Shevchenko and Dana said she'd never headline again. And I'm glad we got through that. Um, She's not saying let's fight next year. OK, she's saying let's fight in June against Felicia Spencer instead of right now on a weird camp. You know, she said she's been going to ATT every day in Florida, but it's not. It's not sparring. It's not traditional, what, what you'd expect. Um, I'm all for that. So that's that. Other uh, MMA news or related is the report coming out that WWE has released former two-time UFC heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez and sort of linking it to to the connection with the uh the, the giant round of layoffs that WWE had last week which coincided with the XFL going bankrupt and and some you know hard times financially that of course everyone is dealing with Dave Meltzer the wrestling observer uh, was the one who leaked it that that it had the connection to the coronavirus pandemic and that it had been a quote giant deal that that the 37 year old Velasquez had initially signed with WWE um I can't think I'm alone here in hoping that this leads to Kane making one more run and coming back and fighting. And, um, well, what does he have to prove? Well, still a lot. I mean, he's, he's, he's in that conversation for greatest heavyweight of all time. And I think, you know, skill wise, he was the greatest heavyweight of all time, but that, that dominant cruise, like bad luck, second half of his career, um, it's been rough and heavyweights age late and this kind of gives him an open window. Now he did the whole wrestling thing because it it made him feel great. It was a dream. He was sort of a physical natural at it. But his brief run in WWE was was bungled from the start. WWE if you if you weren't following was getting the crazy Saudi Arabia money to go put on shows out there that were WrestleMania like and they rushed that storyline of him coming back to face Brock in a rematch of their UFC fight, and he's the one that put that scar below Brock's eye, which is true. They rushed that and put it into a microwave when in reality, look, that's a WrestleMania storyline. That's something that you build up over four or five months, and you don't have Kane wrestle in between that. Or if you do, you have him demolish people, and you really build up that storyline. They microwaved it. They put it in Saudi, and Brock tapped Kane out in like a minute. And it just was like, oh... And then subsequent appearances from Kane, not only was he not in great shape, but look, we know Kane and MMA, uh, he can't work the mic. He can't sell himself. So there was already a limited sort of ceiling of what you could do with him, even though physically he was ahead of where he, of any other celebrity or where, where you would think he should normally be. I mean, he could move, he could bump, he could do things in there, but you know, he never had the charisma and, and even packaging him with Ray Mysterio and doing the whole family thing. Like it just didn't work. So, for his sense and WWE sense, if there was some kind of buyout in there, like, it's probably the best deal all around. And, um, I don't know, man. I mean, could you imagine? Now, look, we already went through most recently the most recent Kane comeback and he got stopped by, uh, Francis Nganu like instantly and, and his knee gave out and all that stuff. It, it was a dis- disaster. Okay. We all know that. But could you imagine if he could actually stay healthy and he could win a comeback fight and then win another? And be 38 or 39 and, and and fight a similarly old Stipe for a chance to win back the title if he could get back there. Or maybe in was the champion at that point. I mean, obviously, you know, whatever happens on that side. But just the storyline there has great potential. And I can't be alone in feeling like, you know, we never got to find out how great Velasquez can be. We've seen, you know, those those quick mountaintops. But uh That wasn't Cardio Kane in Mexico against Verdum. And, um, you know, then he comes back and destroys Travis Brown. You're like, wow, if that version of him can get in there against Stipe or could ever convince his best buddy DC to square off, wow. But, uh, you know, we never got back there. And, uh, maybe he's got more, one more run in him. Maybe not, but he's a great fighter and I, and I agree and a good dude, obviously. And I, I certainly wish him well in that regard. Um, what a wild time. I'm just itching. I'm just itching to get these fights back. I'm itching to get back in line. Hopefully, you are the same. Um, you know what else I'm itching for? To throw to some great interviews here. So let's do this. Uh, we're gonna go first to Michael Chandler. He's your three-time Bellator champion, but he's in a very interesting situation with his contract up after his next fight it was supposed to be in June, a rematch with Benson Henderson. We're gonna talk to him and sort of find out. Uh, since then, since, since recording this interview, Bellator did postpone that card. So it's not going to happen June 9th, but when or June 6th, sorry, or when or what, how soon, what does that mean? Next Chandler's going to get all into that right now. It's Michael Chandler. Enjoy. Oh, let me talk to this guy, Michael Chandler. Uh, for my money, the face of the Bellator promotion for many years and many (laughs) years to come, sir, how are you holding up during these uncertain times?
0: I am good, man. I'm, uh, just spending a lot of quality time with the family, spending a lot of time in the the garage gym, and it's been some beautiful weather here in Nashville, Tennessee. So I've been getting my road work in and enjoying some sun. So it's been, uh, uh, pretty good considering.
1: Yeah. I mean, have you been, have you found some sort of unexpected, uh, you know, blessings and moments during the, during this, during this forced pause on your life?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we can get so caught up in the hustle of life and the craziness of, of always acquiring and always striving and always building. And, um, I have definitely not been here sitting on my hands, but I have taken a step back and realized that I am not in control and, uh, just really focusing on what I can control, which is me, my body, my, my mind, my soul, my spirit, and then, uh, my relationship with my son, my relationship with my wife and uh, treating myself um, great throughout this this time and just realizing that I am not in control, so I can't control it, so just uh, keep on moving forward and uh, let everybody else let me know when I can go back to quote-unquote normal life.
1: Yeah, I can definitely respect the wisdom in that statement for sure. Uh, we are all filling this quarantine time in our different ways. A lot of us re-watching some classic fights, and that's why... Uh, it's fun ahead of this Bellator and CBS Sports collaboration with the Bellator MMA Recharged. Fans are going to get to rewatch 192, 194. A lot of big heavyweight names in there from that Grand Prix tournament. But they're also going to be able to watch Michael Chandler gain a very key win from Bellator 192 in January 2018 against Goichi Ayamauchi. Mike, take me back to that night. You're coming off that loss to Brent Primus where you kind of got screwed over, let's say, by the doctors not letting you continue after one round. What was your mindset heading into that one?
0: Well, you know, so that was uh, that actually was a very pivotal point in my career, both mentally and and professionally. You know, you're uh, a, a, as you said, I, I had just lost the title um, a couple months before that, and I was uh campaigning for the rematch i was ready to fight uh we couldn't get the the you know the current champion at the time to fight me so i took on um a guy who was probably one of the he was the scariest guy in the division young hungry lion goethe he had 18 wins by submission i think he was 20 and 2 his record was twenty and two at the, at that time, um, but I did what what every real fighter in this sport does. They don't care about the name, they don't care about the belt, they don't care about the money. They go in there and they want to get into a fist fight. And uh, I wanted to continue to prove to the fans, my fan base, everybody who has supported me for for the last decade before that fight, um, that I was a true fighter and I was going to go out there and I was going to continue to be active in a in a sport full of guys who uh, who are more worried about the. The glitz and the glam and the red carpets. I wanted to be able to hold it down for uh, for the real fighters. So I went out there and uh, put a beating on a uh, a youngin, and it was a, it
1: was a blast. Indeed, and that started a another set of wins for you. And uh, looking forward to revisit that, of course. And this series starts Saturday, April twenty fifth, eight p.m. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network, and then every Wednesday night at eight Eastern after that. Uh, Michael Chandler, you've been through so many ups and downs, you, more ups throughout your career, but I'm not sure I ever saw someone respond to defeat with a better attitude and in a in a willingness to refocus and get right back on top of that ladder. Where do you think that comes from? Is is that a, is that a natural thing, or is that developed over time in 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 in, in hardship and wisdom?
0: Uh you know I think it is a lot of uh, a lot of growth and a lot of the the maturation process of a fighter. You know when I got into the sport um I already knew how to win and I, and I also knew how to lose because of the sport of wrestling. The sport of wrestling teaches you um that you're not always going to be in control. You're going to take losses that you should have won and you're going to you're going to uh somehow win matches and win fights that that se- seemed unwinnable at, uh for a moment. And uh the sport of wrestling taught me that and I took that into the sport of mixed martial arts and Came out uh, came out like a like a cannon and uh, went 12 and 0. My first 12 fights captured a, a world title fight, uh, a, you know, a world championship and a top three ranking in the world within 18, uh, 20 months of, of me stepping into the cage for the first time. So um, then I, and then I learned how to lose. I learned learned how to learned how to get knocked down and then dust myself back up and go through a you know a loss streak. And now here I am, a decade into this sport and realizing that every single person that I've ever looked up to. Uh, Has at one point or another failed in a competition or failed um, in a, a big landmark moment in their life. And it's how they responded um, to that setback, uh, which that spoke more volumes than it was had they been able to speak about a win. And, uh, you know, for me, 10 years into the sport, I think, I think people want to see people win, they admire champions, they admire winners, but they also, somebody who goes out there, gets knocked down and, and dusts up back off and picks themselves back up and throws themselves back into the fight. And I think that's, uh, that's it. You know, that's a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for what we're going through right now with uh, the quarantine and the coronavirus. How are we going to dust ourselves off and pick ourselves back up when this thing is all over? And, uh, you know, that's why I love that Bellator, uh, recharged is, is going to be on TV and people are going to see the struggles, the ebbs and the flows, the wins and the losses, the ups and the downs of each of these fights and each of these minutes inside of the cage, uh, because it's just a metaphor for life.
1: Yeah, indeed. I love that. Uh, I know that you were originally scheduled to make your return, a rematch with Benson Henderson, a fight you won the first time by split decision a few years back it was supposed to be June 6th bellator 244 obviously we're we're all unsure what the future is going to bring uh if you had a guess when, when do you think you would be back in camp and in in when is a optimistic sort of month circle on the calendar that we could see you fighting again let alone week to week fights back on a regular act schedule
0: i i still believe and from everything that i am hearing and obviously none of it is. Uh, is official, but I'm still hearing that we're gonna we're gonna be fighting in June. Um, I think uh, I think Scott Coker and, and Rich Shue and and everybody uh, with Viacom, CBS, um, the the higher ups, they're itching to get us back in there, obviously, but they're also they're also want to be extremely diligent and extremely smart about how they do it. Um, so the good thing for me is, as I said, all I can focus on is me, my body, my family, my vessel. And uh, I've been training like crazy. I'm probably in the best shape I ever have been um, outside of a training camp. So whenever they give me that call, I will hit the ground running and I will uh, go out there and put on a a dominant performance of Benson Henderson.
1: You know, we've heard talk that this would be, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the final fight on your current contract. Uh, If that's the case, does that change – your mindset at all in terms of how you prepare and what's at stake for you?
0: Um, no, not really. You know, I think, uh, I think we can focus on all the outside circumstances sometimes too much and then it ends up showing in the cage. But for me, Benson Henderson is a guy that I fought before. He's got two arms, he's got two legs, he's got certain mannerisms, certain habits and certain tendencies that I, I know I can go out there and exploit. Um, and yeah, there, there's a little bit more on the line here. I want to, I want to go out there and put an exclamation mark on the end of this contract. I want to go out there and continue to prove with Scott Coker and Rich Hugh and Mike Coker and those guys sitting cage side, they can watch the whole card and then, w- and then watch the main event and see the, see the tenacity, see the speed, see the, see the ferocity that I fight with and be reminded why I've been a staple and the staple and the face of this franchise for the last decade and why Bellator wouldn't be who they are without my performances and not, and Michael Chandler wouldn't be who he is without Bellator promoting him and, and us having a ph- phenomenal symbiotic relationship, a uh, mutually beneficial relationship. So it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's exciting for me. You know, this is the business aspect of fighting. Um, but you still got to keep the main thing, the main thing, what happens inside those 15 minutes inside that cage is what really counts. And it's on me, it's on my shoulders. The, the, the onus lies solely on me to go out there and, and do my job. And, Um, If I do my job, I have I have no uh, no doubts that we will have uh, we will come to some negotiations and and, uh, put ink to paper.
1: I hear the pride in your voice there for what (laughs) you've accomplished under the Bellator banner and really what Bellator's accomplished with you as one of the mainstays there. Um, Anyone hearing that would go, oh, man, he wants to certainly come back and make this work. But would you be open to, you know, getting to be the hot chick at the dance and, and fielding offers from all around the world?
0: yeah you know i mean it's uh
1: it's it's one of those things I have never been there I have never been an
0: actual free agent I've never actually um sat in the in a negotiation room or had any other uh conversations with any of the other organizations um you know if if it gets to that if it gets to this point or if it gets to that point this time um I know it is not because uh scott coker and and Viacom and and CBS does not see the the value in me i think um, they would need to see, um, you know, maybe they're interested in, in what my worth is outside of, uh, Bellator. And I think it, it's, it's somewhat playing with fire because I, I really think I'm firing on all cylinders. This is the best I've ever looked, um, and this is the best I've ever been. So I think testing free agency is only going to continue to, uh, play to the narrative that has been circling the, the lightweight division for the last 10 years that I'm one of the top guys in the world. I'm the guy that can, um, solve the public puzzle of Khabib Nuragomedov. I am the guy who is, who has a, a huge name over in Asia now after my, uh, retiring of of, uh, Akihiro Gono back in the day. And then now put on a dominant performance against Sydney outlaw over in the Asian organization or over in Japan. So there's Asian organizations. Um, this world, it's, it's sport is worldwide now. So it's, it's just exciting. I love Scott Coker. I love Bella, Bella Tour, I love what we have built together. And, uh, it's a little bit, you know, uneasy to, to think about it because it's it's uh, it's just interesting to to think that this is I, I will no longer be under contract with Bellator after I knock out Benson Henderson and get my get my hand raised. You know, I don't think we're going to have um, a deal done because I already told him I'm not going to negotiate um, a contract while I'm in training camp. So it'll be uh it'll be interesting and uh, we will see.
1: Indeed. Wow. I I I can't help you. I can't have you go anything forward than when you when you drop a bombshell like I've got the blueprint to beat Habib to follow up and ask you. And, you know, I've heard you talk about in the past, but I, I love your confidence on that. What is it about that sort of mythical matchup that gives you the full confidence when you see what Nurmagomedov has been able to accomplish?
0: Oh man, he's, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's the Floyd Mayweather of, of mixed martial arts. You you watch, you watch a guy like Floyd Mayweather, you just don't understand how he can be beat. And then you look at a guy like Khabib and you've seen the way he's been, um, almost unblemished in his career. You know, he is unblemished in his actual record, but almost unblemished in, in every single hit performance. But, um, the little, the little idiosyncrasies, the little tendencies, the little, uh, where he is strong, I am just as strong. Where he is,
2: where he is average, I am extremely strong. You know?
0: So, um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't say that, um, out of any kind of cockiness or arrogance. I just think, you know, we're all, we're all 155 pounds with two arms and two legs. And it's not that hard to go out there and put on the performance of your life and, uh, and beat any guy, um, in the lightweight division at any given, on any given night. And I've, I've been that for, for the last decade. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think Scott Coker would, uh, would agree. He thinks I'm one of the best lightweights in the world, if not the best lightweight in the world. So we'll, uh, we shall see, uh, you know, what happens after this fight. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just excited to continue my career. You know, I got, I look after two people and that's my wife and my son. Um, and whatever is, whatever scenario takes care of them the best. Um, That's what we're we're going to be led to. um, And we will let the performances take care of themselves.
1: Well, certainly no disrespect to Benson Henderson or your upcoming contract negotiation period. But you've been, you know, the face of the lightweight division with Bellator, the face of Bellator. Uh, The belts come off you a few times, but it came back on pretty quick. Right now, it's sitting around the waist of Patricio Freire. And uh, how much are you thinking about that? How much is the 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 grudge with the Pitbull brothers still real to you at this moment?
0: Uh, you know, it, it really isn't that real. You know, I, I'm never I'm never looking to to get back any losses that I've had. You know, I've lost to Eddie Alvarez and Will Brooks and and uh, um, Brent Primus, and I never. I never of course I wanted to fight them again because that meant getting the belt back, but I never I never looked at beating a certain person. For me, you know, I don't think about beating a certain person. I think about my job. I think about my job is going out there, uh, putting on the my performances and uh and doing uh doing a good job and being dominant, being who I am. You know, those those uh the two of the the Pitbull brothers are two of the two of the best in the entire world. Um, both at lightweight, featherweight. Uh, I think you put them in in any of the other organizations, and they um, they 're fighting for belts uh, so it 's been uh they they are um, some of the original stable of guys, just like myself, just like douglas Lima um, you know that we 've been around this organization for a really long time and it 's been nothing short of amazing to see what Bellator has built, you know, um, going from relatively a, a, a nobody organization back in 2008, it was a brand new organization to now, you know, 2018, 10 years later. Um, here we are world, worldwide, um, doing shows in other countries, um, broadcasting across the world. Now doing, now we're doing a new show on CBS. It's just what, what Bellator has built over the last decade, I guess 12 years essentially has been, uh, really, really, uh, remarkable. And it's been awesome to be a part of it. So I think these, uh, you know, these guys are, are, are tough guys. They're extremely, extremely talented. Um, you know, if we get to get a deal done. I can almost guarantee that I beat Benson Henderson, um, in June or whenever that fight takes place. And then later on this year, um, hopefully I'm fighting Patricio for that belt. And, uh, win, win that belt, win that belt back and then who knows, maybe there'll be a trilogy. We got some, we got some, a lot of unfinished business, business between Chandler, um, and the, uh, Pitbull brothers. So we'll Damn see. Damn
1: right. Wow. That gets me fired up. Uh, just thinking about you guys fighting again. Uh, to close here on, on talking to Michael Chandler, can't wait to check out, your uh, previous fights as well as your other brother in Bellator with the Bellator MMA Recharge Series. Um, speaking of your classics, and you've been in more than a few, you mentioned Eddie Alvarez. We've seen it twice. When that man was a free agent just in the recent future before, in the past, excuse me, before making that deal with one, I was itching for that guy to come back home to Bellator and strap it up for a third time with you. Uh, what were your emotions like when that was a possibility?
0: Yeah, you know it's it's you know as a it, it is it is hard because sometimes you uh you know you, you got to do what's best for yourself and your family, but you also you know you also have your uh you know your um your emotional ties, and obviously I have an emotional tie to Bellator. Um, I have an emotional tie to the 50 minutes that that Eddie and I have spent inside the cage, and I think I think the MMA world uh, wants to see that third fight. You know, um, so, of course, whenever he became a free agent, there was, um, you know, there was the hope or the, the small glimmer of hope that maybe he would get a deal done with Bellator. And, you know, that's just the business of mixed martial arts there. Uh, we are all um, independent contractors. And when our contracts are up, we have the opportunity to go side sign with the highest bidder or the best fit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would love that third fight. I think that's a that's a fight that needs to happen. You know, I, I just got done saying, I don't, I don't really fight to want, want to go ahead and rematch people or fight people, uh, because I lost to them or, uh, any unfinished business. But I'd say that the Eddie Alvarez trilogy is about the only other fight that I want, um, to finish and kind of put an exclamation mark on. I think it's just, it's a, it would be a trilogy fight. Uh, the first two fights were two of the best fights. They were the two best fights in Bellator history. Um, and uh, two of the best fights in mixed martial arts. And he and I just, uh, we have a knack for making magic when we step into the cage together. You know, he, uh, I respect him tremendously as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a fighter. Um, and uh, I think he, he thinks the same about me. But that never stops us from going, down, going out there, biting down on our mouthpiece and getting into a, an extremely entertaining fist fight. So, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that third fight will happen um, after, this, after this fight. Who knows? We, uh, we shall see.
1: Great stuff, Michael Chandler. That man, Eddie Alvarez, is the gaudy to your ward. I hope you get that chance. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, Happiness and health to you and your family during these tough times, but can't wait to see you strap him on again, sir.
2: Yes, sir. You as well. I appreciate it. Take
1: care. All right. Special thanks to Michael Chandler. Hell of an interview. I mean, like, well-spoken, deep, thoughtful answers um, wherever he ends up. He's going to bang and make fun fights, and he, he's about as blue-collar and tough as it gets. And I want to see the Eddie Trilogy. You better believe that. Uh, of course, you'd love the idea if he tried out the UFC and, and, and actually found out where he stood in the deepest division in, in, in MMA history, to really be honest, against the likes of Habib and Connor and all that. I mean, it'd be fantastic. You know what also be fantastic? Him stay in the face of Bellator and fighting... Patricio Pitbull two more times and, uh, you know, and, and, and doing some things there. Wherever he goes, he's going to get paid and he's going to do great. And obviously he's got to you know, it would really help if he beats Benson Henderson and looks great doing so and stays injury free. But big things to come for Chandler and please check out that new. Bellator, CBS Sports Network collaboration coming up, and to continue this conversation, hey, it's Aaron Pico. A lot of ups and downs, and he gets real about it. Russ going to talk about his horses. Uh, yeah, did you see that video? Wow. Hey, it's Aaron Pico coming at you. Enjoy. Aaron Pico in Whoop. the house. Great chatting with the Bellator featherweight. Uh, Aaron, how are you holding up during this craziness, my man?
2: Uh, everything is good. Everything is good. I wish. uh I wish I could be back in the gym, but it is what it is. There's not much that we can do. So just trying to be as productive as I can, but everything is good.
1: I hear you on that. A lot of us filling this quarantine time by watching old fights, classic fights, and it's really cool what CBS Sports and Bellator are doing together with this Bellator MMA Recharge Series. You can catch it every Wednesday night. 8 p.m. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network. Big John McCarthy, the host, and Aaron. Fans are going to get a lot of big-time heavyweight action from this looking back at the World Grand Prix Tournament, Bellator 192, Bellator 194. They're also going to get some Aaron Pico action on there. Uh, take me back to January 20th, 2018. Bellator 192, Inglewood, California, when you punched a hole through Shane Crutchin.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a good night. It was, uh, obviously a lot of people know my left hook is, is very deadly. But, uh, yeah, it just happened so fast, to be honest with you. I don't even really remember it. But, um, just something that comes so natural is that left hook. So, uh, yeah, watching the replays, like, man, that, that was a, that was a deadly shot. It would put anybody down. So, yeah, I faked with the, the right, uh, leg kick and then I saw that, obviously, that his, his body was open and I just, I just unleashed it like a bomb and, and, uh, I don't care how tough you are, you get hit in the right spot in the stomach or the liver, you're going to go down. So, uh, yeah, it was, I was just happy that the fight, you know, was quick, got to go home and got my check and, and, uh, walked out there, walked out of there with nothing, no bruises, no nothing. So, I wish. I wish the future. I, I have many more of those.
1: Absolutely, thirty-seven seconds was all it took. When you land a devastating shot like that, it was in the discussion for knockout of the year. It sounded like a shotgun going off. When do you know he's not going to make it? Is it is it upon impact? Do you know he's going to drop and that's going to be it?
2: No, I, you know I, I get that that question asked a lot. It's just it's really really hard to explain. Sometimes you just it takes a few seconds to realize like. He's out or or you know, he's hurt, but you know, sometimes you know, you see like after, you know, a devastating shot like that you continue to punch because sometimes you don't know if they're gonna be out, you know. So for me I just try to keep it in my mind that you know, you don't stop until the ref steps in. So yeah, I don't know. I can't really answer that question. It's kinda of, it's very difficult. It's difficult for me, you know, unless you unless you're in there and you know, you just sometimes you just know. I don't know. It's hard to explain.
1: Absolutely. We've seen you uh saw a video floating around on the internet of you staying busy on a horse. Uh what's your your background in the equestrian game? It looked like you were doing a little dance in there.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean I have two horses. Um so I have them here in my backyard. So that's been keeping me really, really busy. They always keep me busy cleaning stalls and and, and riding. Uh I I would love horses. I I'm so obsessed with it, it's crazy, you know. My my dream is to is to uh you know become a breeder of spanish horses one day so i'm always you know i'm very interested like in the spanish you know the spanish horses and stuff and yeah i posted a picture just just messing around that was back in california and and um it, it got some traction but but uh for me you know the quarantine has been it helps have two horses and and uh you know i can ride out my front front gate here and go out on trail in in albuquerque i have an arena in my backyard so um when you have horses there's there's always work to do so
1: absolutely Uh, that's a that's a great hobby obviously i think you know that part of that video getting a lot of big traction was people were focusing on on the heat that that horse was packing (laughs) this guy is stud or what
2: yeah 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 he's um yeah back in california with a friend's horse he's andalusian Lusitano stallion and And, uh, yeah, he definitely, uh, you know, he puts us, puts us to shame. That's for (laughs) sure. He's he's packing some heat,
1: (laughs) Uh, Indeed. but, uh,
2: Uh, yeah, he's a stallion and, and, uh, but no, very good horse, you
1: know, uh, Aaron Pico, just 23, but we've known you for so long. You were, I mean, you know, Brett Okamoto, I remember he called you the biggest prospect in MMA history. You're obviously still writing your story after some ups and downs, but, uh, You've had such a great, decorated background in fighting. Was there ever uh, was there a specific age or moment where, where even that young, you just made a decision that, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, a professional fighter, and I'm going to cross train every aspect, and I'm I'm going to be that, you know, almost like that Tiger Woods in terms of a uh, somebody young who everyone's saying that's the guy. Yeah,
2: from an early age, I I knew that I wanted to to. Uh become a fighter. I think around third grade, I just, you know, and I was like nine or 10, I started boxing and I was wrestling at the time too. So I knew that I wanted to, you know, MMA, I wanted to, to go into MMA eventually. But when I really started boxing, I thought I was just going to go pro in boxing. That's all. that's what I really, really, really wanted to do was to, to turn pro, uh, boxing, but, you know, life took me in a different direction. Um, you know, I kept wrestling and, and, you know, I boxed for like two years straight. I didn't even wrestle. So, um, so then I uh, went back to wrestling and then as you know, I started to succeed a lot, travel the world. And, you know, I won a world championship, a couple world medals. And, and, uh, I said, well, shit, I have, I have good wrestling, you know, I have a good grappling base and, you know, obviously I have good hands. So, you know, it just makes sense for, for me to, to go into MMA. But originally when I first started boxing, I was like, or when, when I first started boxing, I said, I, I just want to become a pro boxer. And, uh, you know, I, I can still do that. You know, I'm so still young enough. I I have the, I have the skill sets to, to do it. So yes, that's, that's kind of how it all started. And then obviously I did pancreation, which is, uh, you know, like MMA, but body shots only. So I uh, traveled the world. I did some, some pancreation, uh, had some uh, amateur fights, but probably like two or three. And, you know, I had about 25 amateur boxing fights. So yeah, I've always been kind of groomed to, to become, uh, an uh, and MMA fighter, so yeah.
1: Well, hit me up on this urban legend I've heard. I cover boxing as well, full-time, and I, I I've heard it around gyms, I've heard broadcasters whisper it off-air that you got to spar at a young age with Miguel Cotto through your relationship with Freddie Roach, and that you may or may not have dropped and hurt the, the, the future Hall of Famer.
2: No, 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 I didn't, I, I didn't, um, one yes, I I did spar him. I actually sparred him for his last last two fights of his career. I was, um, yeah, towards his last his last fight, I was actually one of the main sparring partners. But uh, as far as hurting and stuff like that, we had good work, we had great work. But no, 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 um, guy didn't drop him or hurt him or anything like that. And even if I did, I would never even say it because, uh, as fighters know, whatever happens in sparring or anything like that is is, is uh, closed door. Uh, sessions and, and, um, and I'll never talk about it, but in fact, but in all reality, I did nothing happen like that. Did we have some great sparring and did I hold my own? Absolutely. But, uh, but as far as knocking them out or stuff like that, I, I didn't. And, uh, I'm happy that I didn't because then obviously, you know, you know, it's it's not good. You're going into a fight. You don't want that, especially being a sparring partner. You want to give good, you know, give guys good work. Sometimes shit happens, but but uh nothing nothing like that when i, fought, I sparred miguel but yeah i'm very fortunate that i got to spar you know get a lot of rounds in with him it's it awesome. it really crazy watching him as a kid and then and then being in there to spar spar with him you know is, uh, he was able is to good. And not 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 many mma fighters get to do that there's a lot of mma fighters that can't even you know that won't be able to you know spar a lot of pro boxers but fortunately i put a lot of work in when i was a kid and, I have the skill sets to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, not just that you had the chance to spar him, but that, you know, you had some success in there, you handled yourself well and were able to prepare him. Um, He's a guy who was able to really keep his career going at the highest level late into his 30s. What's it like, uh, you know, w- with the kind of tricks that a guy like that has at that level when you're in there sparring against him? <clears throat>
2: um, You know, I don't know if there's necessarily any tricks, just very... uh Uh, just very um his technique is is just there he's he's obviously been in the game a very very long time so there's not very many mistakes that he does his hands are always in good position using his footwork well his head position his jab and and uh that's that's the biggest thing there's not really like necessarily any tricks but i think the trick is he basically just is in very very good position uh all the time so and i like you know i like Miguel Cotto's attitude when it comes to training keeps his, you know, circle very, very small in in training, puts his, his work in, has his, his, uh, close team with him at all times. And, uh, you know, is at the gym every single day. There is no uh, distractions and, you know, little hiccups here and there, He's you know, very focused and obviously his, his, uh, resu- results speak for themselves. And there's a, there's a reason why he's, he's, he had the career that he had is, you know, he put in a lot of work and and um you know, kept his circle small. And yeah, absolutely. And it's worked a, his ass up.
1: It's cool to hear your story of all the different avenues, different times you've had with different gyms and trainers and, and sparring and, and it all comes together in the fighter you've become now. And and on that topic, you know, how important for you was the move to Albuquerque to Jackson Wink and sort of getting a uh, an even newer look in into the into your fight mind and the way you prepare?
2: It's been I believe it's been the biggest thing to happen in my career that that's, that was the, the game changer for me physically mentally around the you know right you know right uh, coaches for me and uh yeah, I love it out here I love it out here as far as the the lifestyle with me and my horses I can enjoy that but then obviously the, the, the most important thing is is the training I love Greg I love Six Gun and you know Coach Wink and uh, Tusa and I can honestly say they put a lot of time in with me, so, so much time and break down things for me and, and simplify this fight game for me. I've had all the, all the pedigree. I have all the pedigree. I, pedi- I have all the boxing. I have all the, you know, the, the, the cardio. I have everything to be a champion and we will be champions. It's just a matter of time, but it's breaking it down, taking my time and, and, uh, really studying every position. So going with Greg and, and all the coaches, just coming up with, protocols for every single position that there is and and uh, i'm really really happy to be here i'm really really excited for my future and i just have to you know i just gotta get fights gotta get cage time and uh and get experience that's that's all that's that's what i need that's what i need to uh to do and and uh when i start to get more and more cage time a lot of people are in trouble so I look forward to it. I look forward to that day.
1: I can imagine that. Um, you know, through some of your defeats and the way you've bounced back, um, people have really respected the way you've dealt with that. The kind of uh, setbacks that, that you know uh, could 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 set back a fighter for life. Um, you know, how, how when it was the hardest yeah. of the hardest, how hard was it when when you have that kind of hype and then it kind of gets taken from you and you've got to rebuild? Um, what did you learn about yourself at the darkest moments?
2: Yeah, the, I mean, it is tough. It really, really is tough. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I don't really, I don't, <clears throat> do I go through times where I battle mentally? Absolutely. I'm only human, but, uh, after fights and stuff like that, you'll never, you know, I, I, the only thing I can do is, is, is go back to the drawing board and, and you look at the fights that I've lost. Take away my, my, my pro debut. That just was just a disaster. But as far as Henry Corrales and Adam Borks is like, let's just be real. I was winning those fights. If I would have just taken my time, probably used my grappling, Henry Corrales, I could, I I would have, you know, shoulda, have, woulda, have, coulda. Have, I lost, but I, I, I didn't get outclassed. I didn't get my ass kicked for three rounds and just get the shit beat out of me. So, it was just a lack of, lack of experience going up against a veteran. And then going with Adam Borks, I'm beating him up for a round, a round and a half. And, uh, I get caught with a flying knee with, with, by taking a blind shot. So, you look at those fights and you, and you say, well, shit, was I outclassed? No, I wasn't outclassed. It was just basically me, uh, uh making these small, small, intricate mistakes that, that, that can cost you a fight. So I just go back and I say, okay, so what do I need to do to, to fix it? Go with Greg, go with this. And, uh, and we figure out what we need to do, but I'm not going to be one of those guys that's going to be on Instagram saying like, Oh, I'm so hurt or I'm so poor me and this and that. I don't, I don't believe in that shit. I believe in getting back to the drawing board, staying positive and saying, okay, what do I need to do to, to, to get better? That's, that's just kind of like my philosophy. You know, I'm a wrestler. That's always going to be my, my background. And, uh, us wrestlers don't quit. And uh, that's one thing about us. We're going to figure out a way to, to get to the top. So, so those, those back, back to what I'm saying, those losses, yeah, they hurt, but I wasn't outclassed. I fight Henry Corralis again with the, the coaches that I have now. Way different story. I fly Adam Borks again with my grappling that I put in so many hours after that flight. Completely different story. Just saw, just look at what Darren Caldwell did. It doesn't take a genius to, to figure out how to beat Adam Borks. Yeah, he's got a great camp and great wrestling coach back there, but I've been wrestling since I've been a young kid. He's not going to stop my takedown. And uh, the grappling that I put in is uh, – I am would – it would be a different fight. That's basically what I'm just trying to say.
1: Yeah, understood on that for sure. You know, you mentioned your wrestling, and when you did suffer defeat, you saw a lot of, you know, armchair analysts, professional analysts just saying, man, this kid has everything if only he wrestled more. Is that Was that a fair criticism of you yeah. at that point?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I just, I didn't, I think, I don't, I think in the beginning of my career, honestly, I didn't do as much grappling that I, that I should have. I think maybe there was a little, there was a little bit of hesitation because I didn't put as much grappling time as I'm doing now. Now I I grapple like three, four times, four, four times a week, and I'm I love grappling. If I go to the ground, I go with everybody, and I'm good on the ground. I, I'm great on the ground actually. So and people say, oh, your last but why didn't you wrestle? Well, you look at the whole first round. I, you know, I I blocked his kicks, I took him down, I I um hit him with some good elbows, some good punches, and then obviously the the second round, I. At the beginning of the round, I hit him with the left hook and he went down. So that's that's the beauty of having power in your hand. Sometimes you barely hit a guy and they'll go down. But I am prepared to wrestle. I, I really, really am. And uh, I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of being on the ground. I, I spend a lot, of, you know, after that on board. So I, I was so obsessed with, okay, let's figure out how I improve my positioning on the ground. I started grappling with a gi, without a gi. Anytime I can just grapple. I did, and and, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to to show what I can do on the ground.
1: Absolutely. We know you did not enter the Bellator Featherweight World Grand Prix, and in in, in hindsight, it looks like a smart move because you're rebuilding yourself mentally, physically, strategically, but I'm sure you're watching, and we're down to uh, six men in this 16-fighter field. Uh, What have been your takeaways so far from watching the tournament?
2: Um. Yeah, it's it's a tough tournament. It really, really is. I feel Bellator featherweight division is very, very tough, and it's going to be uh, exciting coming down to the home stretch. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great matchups coming up. So, but I, I I've said it from the beginning. I think AJ will. I think it will be AJ and um, Pitbull in the in the fight mm-hmm. or in the finals. Excuse me. And and I'm rooting for AJ. I, I hope AJ wins the tournament. You know him and his dad are putting in a lot of a lot of time and work into it, and and I think that's who I think will be in the finals. I think Pitbull will beat Carvalho. Carvalho's great. It's, you know, a very, very tough guy, but I don't think he has the horsepower to take down, to take out Patricio. And I uh, saw so AJ with Darren. Darren's a very tough guy, but uh, has so many, you know, he's just looking for one thing, and that's to take AJ down. If you're going to take AJ down, you're going to have to be prepared for elbows on the ground, submissions. You know, he's a very, very uh, overall good fighter. So I think uh, AJ will, will, will uh, run away with it.
1: Right. Uh, you mentioned that you will be a champion one day, and I think you know many people believe that. Um, how soon is that one day? How many more fights do you want to take when 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 we get past this this crazy season now and you get back on a regular schedule before you want to step up really high and, and, and challenge maybe whoever comes out of this tournament?
2: Um, I don't know. Year and a half, two years. We'll see. We'll see. That, that's that's the biggest thing. And I'm in no rush now to win a championship. Um, the biggest thing for me is, you know, sit down with my manager, my coaches. You know, my manager Ali's. Uh, you know, we'll we'll sit down at the table and and the coaches and figure out what what is the the best plan for me. Uh, no, that's that's it's not. Now I'm not worried about. Oh, I got to be the youngest champion. I got to do this. Or, you know, right now it's just taking fight fight fights getting cage time and and um and doing that but obviously i i I want to be champion i will be champion but i gotta i gotta be smart now i'm not gonna be trying to you know get all crazy or i need to fight for the title right away Uh, the most important thing is to preserve my body and uh my mind use my you know strategize with my coaches and uh and figure out what what's best for me. I'm not worried about trying to please this person, this person. Uh no, at the end of the day, it's about what makes sense for aaron pico that's That's what I'm worried about, and what makes sense for me is uh getting cage time and it might be four or five years from now when I won a world championship. I don't know, I don't know only like you know only God knows that's the only thing I can say and and uh we'll see how it plays out, but for me, I'm just gonna progress as a fighter. Uh, keep my skills sharp, preserve my body, and uh, when the time is right, the time is right.
1: I love it. I love it. Uh, very, very uh, sober statement in terms of your development there and timing. Um, one more question about the boxing side of it where you mentioned, you know, maybe one day you would take some pro fights. You know, we've seen guys, you know, I mean, MVP, Michael Benham Page was one, you know, who who jumped over to boxing for one or two fights. We've never seen a truly elite person float between the two sports and I'm not saying it has to be you but do you think we would ever see that is that's uh you know we've never seen a, a Bo Jackson like that uh, you know outside of maybe Connor taking one fight in boxing would you ever want to be that where you can hold the championship in two different sports at the same time
2: yeah that, that honestly that would, that would be a huge goal of mine and and I have a lot of work to do in boxing there's a lot of great boxers out there but let me tell you one thing. I'm not bullshitting when I say I can box. I can box, and go ask Freddie Roach. Go ask all the guys that I've been, I've sparred with, and stuff like that. I can box. Um, so I think, I think it's, uh, it's very, very well possible. And right now, I'm in no position to say, hey, well, look, I can make the trans the crossover. I need to build myself up in MMA. That's just, that's just the reality of it. And and um, and show what I can do as a fighter, and then make the transition. But in the meantime, I'm gonna be definitely starting the boxing, going down to LA and getting some, uh, some work in because when the, when the time is right for me to go to, to make the transition, it's not going to be a circus sideshow. It's going to be for real. I'm going to, you know, fight tough guys in, in boxing and uh, figure out, sit down with my team and figure out the best schedule for me and, and how I, how I prepare for that and, and do both. Cause it's, you know, it takes probably a lot of time, focus and, and, um, strategy into it but uh i think it's very very well possible very very well possible especially for me and uh we'll just have to see but i, I definitely will get up some boxing fights and I, I really really want to i love boxing i really really do i i wanted to box since i've been a kid but it's just navigating it making sure the making sure that i'm in the right place uh in my career in mma but i, I gotta build myself up in mma you know i'm not I've had a lot of I've had a, I've had some downs. So right now I'm I, it's like the stock market. I got I got to get start start uh, climbing. So uh, um, yeah, that's that. But when the time comes, I'll be ready for
1: it. You seem to have a great head on your shoulders to 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 make these dreams happen. I will certainly wish you well. Uh, the final question I had was sort of about your weight. You 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 make featherweight now. Do you see that as a uh, as your championship contending weight in the future or, I mean, are you still growing? What's the situation with that?
2: No, one, one 145 is a perfect, perfect weight, weight class for me. And, um, you know, I've heard it. I've heard people say that. I don't know why he doesn't go down to one thirty-five. The thing is, is with me is I have a great, great nutritionist strength and conditioning coach, Sam Calavita that, that does the numbers. And I, 145 is a perfect perfect weight for me. And uh, 135 is just just stupid. It's just stupid. That's that's like you know people say, well he needs to go down to 135. They don't know me. They don't know my my body. They don't know how much muscle mass I have. Or how much fat I have. Or they don't know anything. And I feel like people in MMA, like you know coaches or you know commentators, analysts say, well he needs to go down to 135. And some fighters actually believe that, and that's why they fuck their bodies up. And it's very very sad to see that. You get people that say, "Oh, you know, he needs to go down." No, you don't. You don't need to do anything. You don't know anything about me. Anything about how my body's structured? Nothing. So when I say 145 is a perfect weight class for me, it, it's 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 uh, it's the best. I I make weight very very easily. I stay very disciplined on my eating all year round, and and uh, I'll be at 145 for a long time. Maybe in the the future I will go up to 155. Maybe in my thirties, but. As of right now, I'm not gonna. I'm way too small for for 155, and uh, 145, I'm just I'm just perfect. Maybe maybe not the biggest, maybe I'm not the smallest, right in the middle, and and uh, and uh, I won't be killing myself to make the weight. So that's that's the most important thing. I don't I don't need to uh, drain myself. I want a life after fighting and not be worried about cutting weight and and hate the sport. I I train, eat right, and, and make weight easily. So makes my job a lot easier and, and i enjoy it
1: fair enough great chatting with you aaron pico i wish you the best of luck man help happiness and health to your family during these tough times but i can't wait to see you back in the cage
2: i appreciate it thank you thanks for having me on and all the best to you and your family as well thank you, thank
1: you. okay special thanks to super prospect aaron pico um it's been a crazy mental journey for him and i give him a lot of credit For the adjustments he's made and and the confidence that he still has. And he's figuring things out. I mean, it could not have been easy to be in the spot he was. And, and, I mean, let's let's be honest here. He was getting paid by Bellator like back in high school as like a early, early, early super prospect. I mean, there has been a lot of pressure on him to be everything and to have all those skills but not fully have them refined and fully have the IQ and to be and to push himself into big fights where you're winning, like you mentioned, against Corrales and Boric, you know, but you make that one crucial mistake. And uh, the the changing camp seems smart. And he's got to he's got to really realize his bread and butter. He's got to win fights a little less excitingly and try to just use his wrestling. And then when the openings there finish so we can build up and find out how great he can be. And I'm cheering for him and, and I hope he can do some things in boxing, too. He's a, he's a good kid. So shout out to our guests, Michael Chandler, Aaron Pico, and shout out to you. Fights are coming back, folks. State of Combat always has you covered. Follow at State of Combat on Twitter. We got a new theme song. Your boy BC is working with the powers that be and cooking up. Hopefully you're going to love that in the near future. Shout out to Mikey Mormile, our super producer. And don't miss next week when Rashad Evans and I go deep. Once again, story time. We're going to break off the start of Rashad's UFC career and go into deep dive detail. Hopefully you'll like that. Until then, it is your boy BC. Um, hopefully you love me, okay? I like my hair. I like my hair, too. I right? like my hair. <laughs> the <laughs> mamacitas like okay. my hair. Uh, you know, we all been doing our own quarantine cuts. Hopefully you're getting by. Uh, stay hungry, stay focused. We can do this. Fight's coming. Your boy, BC, we out. <laughs> Let's
2: go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. The Challenge All Stars, new season
0: now streaming on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.